0: there was a couple thousand people here this morning. But you know what? God knew exactly who was going to be here this morning. And I believe that what He has given me me this morning is for those of us that are here. Um, A little bit different, maybe than I've ever taught or preached or heard before. And I will tell you that I have taught and or preached from the book of Job on many occasions. And I would say that most of us have heard multiple sermons on the book of Job from others. But today, if you will give me just a few minutes, I would like to share something that kind of felt new to me when I it kind of hit me this past week. First of all, I want to give you a a brief rundown which we're we're all familiar with the the story of Job but let's just do some background here because it just makes the whole thought process go better Uh, a brief rundown of the opening scenes of the book of Job in verse 1 of chapter 1 turn this monitor down a little bit please it says that Job was blameless and upright Job was blameless and upright as we read on we see that that Job was a man of means. He had seven sons. He had three daughters. He had 7,000 sheep, 500 yoke of oxen. I'm pretty sure that means a 1,000. Am I correct there? 500 yoke of oxen. We'll go with 1,000. 500 donkeys and a lot of servants. The end of verse 3 says that Job was the greatest man among the people of the east. He's a pretty big guy had a lot of stuff. And he was a good man, and God had blessed him greatly. Verse 6 tells us that one day as Satan was out roaming around through the earth trying to wreck people's lives, he came to God. And as Satan and God talked, Job became the topic of their conversation. And during the conversation, Satan told God that even though Job was a righteous man, even though he was righteous, if he lost all his stuff... He would surely curse God. God said, well, you can try. But I'm telling you, Job is upright and blameless. You can't take Job's life. You can take his stuff, but you can't kill him. Go ahead. And take Job's stuff is exactly what Satan did. He took all of Job's oxen. He took all of his sheep. He took his donkeys, his children, his servants. And in all of this, the Bible says that Job remained upright and blameless. Satan didn't give up. Satan came back to God and he said, A man might be faithful if you take his stuff, but if you make him sick, he will curse you to your face. That's my translation. Let's read Job chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Skin for skin, Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. God said, okay, go ahead. You can make him sick, but you can't kill him. And make him sick is what Satan did. In fact, if you read the second chapter of Job, verses 7 and 8, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. And then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. That's pretty horrible. And I never really thought about the broken pottery and the ashes before, but all his stuff got blown away by winds and stuff burned down. And that was probably the broken stuff he used to have sitting on the fireplace and the house that had burned down. And he's just kind of sitting there among it and he's itching and got sores all over him. So he just reaches over and grabs one of his broken pots and just starts scratching. As Job sat there in the ashes of his previous life, scratching his sores with a piece of broken pottery, his wife shows up. Seems like that in all of the things he lost, his wife was not one of those things. Men, don't look at your wives right now. In verse 9, this is what his wife said to him. And his wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. The faithful and upright and blameless Job replied in verse 10 to his lovely wife, He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. He said, are you saying it's okay for us to accept all the good stuff, but not to accept the bad stuff when it happens? And he went on being blameless and upright. So things are looking pretty bad for Job. He's lost everything and everyone in his life except his his wife that's nagging him and wants to curse, wants him to curse God and die. But not everything. It seems that Job had three friends that were still around, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And when these three friends heard about Job's troubles, they all got together and they came to sympathize with him and to comfort him. That's what the Bible says in verse 11. They got together and came to Job. They said, he's our buddy, we're going to go see him, we're going to help him feel better seems that his friends were also quite dramatic. If you read verses 12 and 13, When they saw Job from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. And they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him, because they saw how great his suffering was. Hmm. As we read through the book of Job, we see that at different times, different ones in the group began to speak after a week. Job spoke first, Eliphaz spoke next, and then Job spoke again. And then Bildad spoke, and Job spoke again. Then Zophar spoke, and once again, Job spoke. And this pattern repeats itself for chapter after chapter after chapter. And then in verse 32, we see that there's another man who's a younger man, is introduced, and he enters the conversation. His name was Elihu. I want us to look at some of the highlights of these conversations. Job starts out the conversation by cursing the day of his birth. Job 3, 1 through 5. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, may the day of my birth perish, and the night it was said, a boy is born. That day may it turn into darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine upon it. May darkness and deep shadow claim it once more. May a cloud settle on it. May blackness overwhelm its light. Most of us would have just said, I wish I'd never been born. A little bit more wordy version of that. He cursed the day he was born. He was miserable. And Job continues on that same line for several more verses, cursing the very day that he was born. And then his friend, Eliphaz, puts his two cents worth in. He starts off okay. He's saying, surely Job is a pretty good guy. But then it starts to go downhill. In verse 5, he states that the obvious problem that is with Job and why he is in such trouble is because of the way Job has lived his life. Let's read verses 7 through 9. Chapter 4. This is in Life as. Talking to Job, who's sitting there scraping sores with a broken piece of pottery. Consider now, Job, who being innocent has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. At the breath of God they are destroyed and at the blast of his anger they perish. Here's what he was saying. You know, Job, you've always seemed to be a pretty good guy. But now you're facing a lot of trouble. That's okay so far. But i got to be honest with you, Job. The only people I've ever seen in that kind of trouble and have the kind of stuff happen to them that's happening to you are really bad people. I mean, Job, think about it. When have you ever seen an innocent person have all this kind of stuff happen to them? This is his friend that's encouraging him. And when have you seen the upright completely wiped out like you have been? Seriously, Job, you must have really messed up. I don't know what you did. It had to be pretty bad. I will assure you that this type of thinking still happens. But let me tell you that just because some horrible event might befall someone, we should not and cannot automatically assume that they have committed some great sin and that God is punishing them for that great sin. And why do I say that? Because I've seen it so many times. I've seen something bad happen to a good person, and bad things do happen to good people. And some other person who is so holy within themselves... Criticizes that person and says, oh, they must have done something awful bad or God had never caused that to happen. That's just not true. It's not the way God works. In fact, if you read through the Bible, we read of great men throughout the Bible, faithful men of God who experienced terrible events in their lives. The early church, the Christians in the early church were thrown to the lions. They were boiled in oil. They were skinned alive, not because they did something horrible, but because they stood for God. They stood for the name of Jesus. The Bible says in Matthew 5.45 that God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, good things happen to good people, bad things happen to good people, good things happen to bad people, and bad things happen to bad people. Good and bad happens to everybody. So we need to be very cautious not to judge someone's character based on the things that are going on in their lives. Regardless of whether those things are good or bad. You also can't say, well look, at everything's going great in their life, they must be a great, strong Christian. Not necessarily. It rains on the just and the unjust. It rains on the righteous and the unrighteous as continues with his lack of encouragement for several verses, and then in chapter six, Job replies. He tells his buddies, "Yeah, I'm really suffering right now, but I've been faithful to my God, and you guys don't know what you're talking about, and you're really not helping things." In verse fifteen, he calls them undependable. In verse twenty-one. He says that his friends have proved to be of no help. Job was very honest. And he had a sense of humor, we'll see in a little bit. Job continues down that same line of thought. And then in chapter 8, it's Bildad's turn to talk. Another one of Job's friends. He immediately chastises Job for saying what he had said in the previous couple chapters. About Job saying, I didn't do anything wrong. So Bildad chastises him for that. And then he pursues, proceeds to take a few shots at Job's character as well. Kind of the way life has it done. He urges Job to repent of whatever it was that he had done to anger God. Read Job 8, 6 and 7. If, if you are of pure, if you are pure and upright, even now he will rouse himself on your behalf and restore you to your rightful place. Your beginnings will seem humble, so prosperous your future will be. In other words, you're not doing right, but if you will do right, God will bless you. While the words that Bildad was saying are good advice, they didn't apply to Job. Those are good words. They just were inappropriate for the situation. Because remember, it was God himself that told Satan in Job 1 and 8, speaking of Job, God said, there is no one on earth like Job. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. That was God. If anyone said that, that would be quite a good recommendation. But when it comes from God, it just doesn't get any better than that. And yet his friends are here questioning his character. When he has God as a personal reference. So we see that while Bildad might have meant well, he was completely wrong with his advice to Job. Once again, here's a person who meant well, but sometimes meaning well doesn't make up for the error of the message. We need to be very prayerful and careful when we are offering advice, especially when we don't know all the facts. And when we might be assuming certain things. It doesn't mean that Eliphaz and Bill Dad were evil. It just means they were lacking in wisdom when it came to offering advice to a friend. So once again, we move on to chapter 10 and Job speaks. At this point, it seems that as much as he's still trusting God, he's very depressed. I can see that. And we can see why. In Job 9.21, again he states that he hasn't done anything wrong. Although I am blameless, I have no concern for myself. I despise my own life. I haven't done anything wrong. I just despise my life. Job is tired. He's in pain. He is suffering mentally and physically. And he doesn't understand why these things are happening to him. It seems that when he tries to talk to God, his words fall flat. But still, in spite of all of that, he never loses his faith in God. Now in chapter 11, it's Zophar's turn to talk. Rather than attempting to lift Job up... Zophar continues with the assault on Job's character. Kind of that kick them when they're down logic. He pretty much mocks Job's grief. Here's a sample of that, Job eleven four through 6. You say to God, my beliefs are flawless and I am pure in your sight. Oh, how I wish God would speak that he would open his lips against you. And disclose to you the secrets of his wisdom, for true wisdom has two sides. Know this, God has even forgotten some of your sin. In other words, Job, you are so bad, even God has forgotten some of the stuff you did. It's terrible. If you back up a verse verse 5. Oh, how I wish that God would speak. The title of this sermon today is Then God Spoke. Because we're going to see that happens. So Zophar goes through some things that are true. Once again, what he said was not untrue or bad advice. It just wasn't true about Job And his timing was terrible. We have to be careful when we speak to folks at difficult times in their lives. Let me tell you that while Romans 8.28 is eternally true, it is true, has been, and will be. It says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been according to his purpose. That's a great verse, and it is eternally true. But it is not the right verse to quote to a parent who has just lost a child. It doesn't take away from the truth of it. It's just not the right verse at the time. And I tell you why. Because the Bible is full of verses of comfort, full of verses that tell how God loves us, full of verses that tell that we have hope. It doesn't take away from Romans 8.28. It just means we have to watch our timing and where we place those Scripture quotes. And those are the ones that we should quote at times of sorrow for folks. Zophar finishes, and once again, Job replies. In the first couple of verses of chapter 12, and I love this. I had never seen this before. We see that Job has maintained his sense of humor, or at least his wit. Job 12, one through 3. Then Job replied, Doubtless you are the people... And wisdom will die with you. But I have a mind as well as you. I am not inferior to you. Who does not know all of these things? Now let me give you the David version of this. This would be my translation. Wow. You guys are without a doubt the smartest people who have ever lived on the face of the earth. In fact, when the three of you die, wisdom will die with you. I'm not an idiot. I have a mind too. I'm just as smart as you. In fact, everybody knows the things that you've said about God. That's pretty funny. You can go ahead and laugh. That's funny. Wisdom will surely die with you. Job finishes his commentary on his friends, and then he returns to his statements of although he knows God is real and all-powerful. He doesn't understand why all these things are happening. You don't have to raise your hand or say amen, but has anyone else ever been there? I'll say both. Amen. You look around and you go, I know, God, you're real. I know you're powerful. I know that you're in control. I know that you love me. But I don't understand. I don't get it. I stood in my dad's office this morning before church. And I said those same words. I don't. It's here in the 13th chapter of Job... Verse 15, where Job says those words, Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Another version says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's a hard stand to take. But if we truly believe that God is who he says that he is, then we have to have that same resolve that Job had. So this back and forth between Job and his three friends continues for several chapters. And the tone doesn't really change. The friends are pretty sure that Job has committed some horrible sin, that God is punishing him for those sins. And Job is absolutely sure that he has remained faithful to God. He just doesn't understand why these things are taking place. Eventually, the Bible says that Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar just give up. And that's when a man named Elihu speaks. Now, Elihu actually made sense. He rebuked Job's friends. He rebuked Job a little for his thoughts about God being someone who randomly pours out his wrath on people for no reason. Job 36, 1 through 7. This is Elihu's words. Elihu continued, Bear with me a little longer and I will show you that there is more to be said on God's behalf. I get my knowledge from afar. I will ascribe justice to my maker. Be assured that my words are not false. false. One perfect in knowledge is with you. God is mighty but does not despise men. He is mighty and firm in his purpose. He does not keep the wicked alive, but gives the afflicted their rights. He does not take his eyes off the righteous. He enthrones them with kings and exalts them forever. Elihu spoke truth, not condemnation, with a holier-than-thou attitude. He just spoke pure truth. He didn't say, Job, you did this. He spoke of the greatness of God. And when we come across someone in that situation, that's what we need to do. Not say how bad this person is, but talk to them about how great God is. They probably already know what they've done. They already know the situation and how bad things are going in their life. They don't need somebody to remind them. But what they do need to know is how great God is. God is mighty. He does not despise men. He is mighty and firm in His purpose. How ought to make you shout. Amen. Amen. Now, we've covered all of this ground of the conversation between Job and his three friends and then Elihu to bring us to the main point of this story. We see that Job spoke, Eliphaz spoke, Bildad spoke, Zophar spoke, and Elihu spoke. Some of it was good, some of it was not. But in chapter 38, see this went on for 37 chapters, in chapter 38, it's fixing to get real good. Because in chapter 38, God speaks, And it's going to get good. Chapter 38, one through three. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. That's pretty impressive. He said, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Oof. Oof. Here's this gigantic storm, I'm guessing, and this voice comes out of it and says, Who do you think you are? I'm going to ask you some questions, and you're going to answer me. And we're not going to go through several chapters of questions that God asked Job, but here's some highlights. Job 38, verses 4 through 13. This is Job talking to, or God talking to Job. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set or who laid its cornerstone, Job? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness. When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. When I said, this far you may come and no further. Here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning? Or shown the dawn its place, Job? That it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? Go ahead and answer, Job. Verse 35, did you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you, Job? Do the lightning bolts come to you and say, here we are? I don't think so. Verse 37 through 38, who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of heavens? And the dust becomes, when the dust becomes hard and the clods of earth stick together. In other words, who makes it rain, Job? Are you involved in all that rain part? Chapter 39, verses 26 and 27. Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom and spread his wings toward the south? Does the eagle soar at your command and build his nest on high? And God goes on for verse after verse after verse reminding Job of who God is so that Job can realize who he is. And then in chapter 42, Job speaks. And then Job replied to the Lord, I know that no plan of yours can be thwarted. Job is realizing that everything that is happening, everything that has happened, is all part of God's plan. He didn't say he understood it. He just said, I realize that it's part of your plan. I realize that God created everything. In the words of God, how he went through and created everything that's been created. Job now says, I realize that you created everything. And that you have kept all your creation in working order since the beginning of time. And I finally realize that you haven't forgotten about me. And then in Job 5, Verse 5, Job wraps it up with the words that I think a lot of folks can relate to. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. When we finally really understand who God is. When we see him with our hearts. And know that he is really the God of all creation. He is the one that shakes out the dawn in the morning. That spoke to the seas and said you can't go any further than that. That he's that God. It will make a difference how we react in bad situations and when bad things happen in our lives. And when those things come, and trust me, they will come. Let's not be a negative. Well, you're saying bad things are going to happen. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. Bad things do happen. That's being factual. Anyone that tells you that once you become a child of God, everything is all about unicorns and rainbows and gumdrops, they lied to you. It's not the way it is. With that in mind, let me tell you this. In fact, let me promise you this. The same God that spoke those truths to Job is the same God that you and I serve today. He hasn't changed. You might go through some very difficult situations in your life, but if you are a child of God, let me tell you a couple things. First of all, He is not punishing you. That's not the way God treats His children. If you were going through some difficult times, number two, he is there with you during the entire ordeal, just like he was with Job. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Just trust in God. Doesn't mean that you'll always understand why things happen. Maybe when we get to heaven, we will understand, and maybe when we get to heaven, we won't care. But be assured that God's promises are true. Here's how I know that God was there through the entire ordeal with Job. It started with God when Satan came to him. And God said, go ahead, you can take his stuff, you can make him sick, but you can't kill him. Which means God was still in control over Job's life the whole time. We also know that God heard all the conversations. He heard all the words of Job's friends. In fact, the Bible says that he rebuked them for their words. But more importantly than hearing the words of his friends, he heard the words of Job every time Job cried out to him. And with all the talking that was going on, with Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar and Elihu and Job and going back and forth, in all the talking that was going on, in due time, God spoke. And let me assure you, hang on, God will speak. Job 42.12 says that, The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. Went through a lot to get there. But when God spoke, everything changed. Trust God. Let Him speak to you today. Encourage one another. encourage one another pray for one another lift one another up I've been around this church for a long time I've seen folks come I've seen folks have family members that have died We need to lift those folks up. Our pastor is gone right now and sister Majean, they've lost a family member. When they return, they'll still be hurting. We need to lift them up. When we look around and we see folks hurting, we need to lift them up. We need to speak to them in wisdom. We need to speak to them with encouragement. We need to pray for them. One thing that Job's friends did that I have to give them credit for is when they first got there and they saw how bad things were, they kind of overreacted, ripping their clothes and throwing dust in the air. But after all that settled, they sat down with Job. Nobody spoke for seven days. They were just there. Sometimes that's what people need. Sometimes they need to hear words of encouragement. Sometimes they just need somebody to be there. Sometimes they just need somebody to put their arm around them, give them a hug. Boy, that's a different kind of message. Would you stand this morning? I love you guys.